What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 191 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Birkbeck, and I am your host and guide through said podcast. Um, and I've had a lovely little week for a change because now here in the UK, lockdown is starting to ease. We're able to travel a bit more. I had some time off work, so I went and did some hiking along the Dorset coast, which was bloody lovely. Um, I discovered sort of last year, like, I've, I've always liked being outdoors and stuff, but like hiking is the fucking one for me. Um, I did some hiking around Wales last year, so this was just to kind of add on that. So yeah, nice little little time away. So if you haven't heard or seen much from me on socials, that is why. Um but we're here again with another wonderful, wonderful episode. Just as always, want to give a massive thank you to everyone that checked out last week's episode. Quite a, a big one for us to get um, Dan Jacobs from Atreyu, who I think it kind of brought a lot of nostalgia for a lot of people, which was really cool. Um, so, yeah, again, huge thank you to everyone who listens to and supports this show. And yet again, we've got an incredible guest lined up for you. Um don't have a whole lot much more to report i'm sure most people have seen the obviously the sad news that 2000 trees festival has been postponed once again um i mean as bad as it is like it's the right decision in my mind like obviously another thing that probably probably a lot of people have seen is the backlash from the the mad ball new york show that happened a couple of weeks ago and like from seeing that, that made me feel incredibly anxious about returning to shows and it literally being back to normal. Um, so I think kudos to the organisers of, of 2000 Trees in making that decision. Um, personally, I'm I'm not quite ready to return to shows, I don't think. Like as much as I miss them, yeah, I'm, I just don't think I'm quite there yet. Like I think give it sort of the end of the summer I'll probably maybe even during the summer I might feel a bit differently they're still a few months away yet but here right now in this moment where like a majority of people my age haven't even had their first vaccine so yeah it's one of those things anyway I'm babbling on um as always just want to give a shout out to what we've what we've I've been listening to this week um new candy apple record came out through convulsion records really kind of like gritty dirty uh sort of punk stuff go check that out uh new gojira album pretty rad new fresh ep pretty cool like i'm i wouldn't say i'm the biggest fresh fan like that's not that's not to do them a disservice but i think this ep really kind of like ups their game which is really cool um New Pillars of Ivory song, which is put out through Triple B Records. They're kind of putting the two demos together in this new song, uh, which is really cool. Um, new Yellow Wolf record, which if you like your hip-hop, go check out Yellow Wolf. And yeah, that's kind of pretty much it, really. So we're going to get into this week's guest. And this is actually a pretty cool one because... Uh, so my guest is the vocalist of Holding Absence, Lucas Woodland. Um, Lucas was someone that I had on my kind of proviso list of people I wanted to get on this year. Um, I reached out to his PR sort of the beginning of the year and they said hold off and hold off because there was something coming later on this year. That would be said sophomore album, um, The Greatest Mistake of My Life, which came out a couple of weeks ago. And the stars aligned and I was able to have a little chat with Lucas. So shout out to uh, my friend Joe Nan for, for organising this one. Um, but yeah, I think Lucas is a kind of a really interesting person because they have they have somebody that uses their voice in a really kind of uh, traditional sense, I guess, in heavy music in terms of like there's a lot of like harmony and melody um, and it's all sort of clean vocals, but it's still used in a aggressive nature to go alongside with the music. So I really wanted to kind of dig into to that with Lucas. So we get into that, we get into um, him going to his first gig before he was technically born. Uh, we talk about how kind of all the 
members who are in holding absence now were kind of part and parcel of his previous band and sort of how they've all kind of grown as musicians and things like that and how holding absence has kind of always had a driven focus and not to kind of be egotistical about it but they know where they want to go with this band and they've kind of hit the marks every single time they've kind of aimed for something so yeah please sit back enjoy the chat i have with lucas and i'll see you on the other side Right, uh, so joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is vocalist of post-hardcore bands Holding Absence, Lucas Woodland. Lucas, thank you very much for taking some time out of a very busy schedule for you guys at the moment. Um, I want to kind of start at like, where we are at the moment, just because like, obviously every band in the world at the moment has kind of suffered because of the pandemic. But I think you guys are kind of in a unique position because like, obviously you finished recording the album as lockdown hit. And now, obviously, we're we're getting sort of like the campaign for for what the record is. But like, because of the time off, did it give you more time to kind of focus on like how you wanted to present the record and like more thought into like the aesthetics, the videos? Did it give you more time? I feel like it did and it didn't, you know, because like obviously we had low, you know, we had buckets of time compared to normal. But I, I do think that we kind of got the end result that we were always going to get, you know, but for me, I think Mm. the main benefit was honestly just like, I kind of had so long to sit with it that I kind of became a fan of the album before it dropped. I know it sounds really weird, but like (laughs) normally you kind of, you rush things. And by the time, by the, you know, by the time you finish the final mix notes, you're tired as hell of the music, like, you know, Um, and and I think for me, it was like, you know, having a literal year between, oh, more than a year, you know, uh, 13 months between recording it and, and that's not even writing it, you know, but yeah, recording it and releasing it, I had time to, you know, hate it, grow fatigued with it, forget about it for a couple of months, you know, and then start to fall back in love with it. And now I feel like I've got a really nice relationship with the record because I had so much time to be objective about it, I think. Mm. Well, as I said, like before I hit the record button, I always kind of like take my guests back to their roots and origins of kind of what got them into alternative music. So what was your kind of first exposure to alternative music? What kind of got you in? What was your jumping in point? Yeah, so for me, my parents have, have always been very, um, my parents are like super music loving, you know, and like, I feel like I, I feel like I see a lot of my my parents and myself because you know they Mm. would just go to show you know and every now and then a band will come up that I've just discovered and my parents will have seen them you know and and like that's kind of the way (laughs) the way they've always been and and we always have this running joke with the first show I ever went to I was minus three months old because my mum went to watch the prodigy when she when she was pregnant you know so that's it you know I've I've always been in good hands um you know and, and I I feel like the prodigy is probably my first like sentient memory of like music you know because my, my mm. dad used to um, kind of a bit of a long winded explanation, but we used to our kitchen because we lived on a hill when when I was younger. Our kitchen was kind of like a basement, but then there was like a garden, if that makes sense. It's really hard to explain. But like so, right, and okay. my dad would always like basically would always smoke out with the, the back door open in the kitchen with music playing, you know, and, and I, that's something I don't smoke, but that's something that I I kind of feel like I, I would do, you know, just sitting around and just blaring music and just doing whatever, you know, just chilling yeah, out. Yeah. But I remember being really little and just kind of, I'd sit at the top of those stairs and I could, I just remember the, the Prodigy was one of the first kind of sonic memories I have really. Um, and then, mm. you know, I think telling a child that you and they like music, I think that's just some a sim- simple thing that, you know, they'll always have then. So for me then to like get into music on my own accord was kind of a different thing then, you know? So I always liked Maroon 5, um, uh, Black Eyed Peas, uh, you know, and, and kind of stuff like that. Th- those were two bands that I really, really fell in love with when I was probably about eight or nine. Um, and yeah. then round about roughly like 10, 11, I started getting into, um, uh, the main ones for me were Slipknot, gallows which was a really really good scoop for an 11 year old kid because like you know i feel like i was quite niche and <laughs> yeah. uh and system of a down and all that kind of thing and then the rest just you know i got to the point where i would i would listen to every, everything i could really you know yeah 
So, like, going off of that, kind of, I think, like, as you say, sort of Slipknot, System of Down, are kind of entry bands for a lot yeah. of people, sort of, your generation, my generation sort of thing. But kind of going, maybe not necessarily sonically what Holding Absence is, but going more in line with that, what were the bands that were kind of leaning you that way? Like, I know you've spoke openly about, like, your love for My Chem and stuff, but were there other bands that you were sort of, like gravitating towards yeah i think when you look at what i do for holton absence versus what i listen to it as a as a young music listener you know i think the main thing for me is like uh you know we you know i'm assuming you're my age as well you know we kind of grew up when like emo was like kind of the top dog so you know when i look back yeah at, like literally today i just went out and bought this puppy uh you know like uh, so nice you know like paramore my chem yeah, uh, Panic of the Disco, uh, you know, all that kind of, a uh, Fallout Boy specifically as well were, were brilliant back in the day. And like, I think for me, it was like, I think you can see that that is definitely left a, a lasting mark on me because like e emo is by definition emotional music. And, and you know, that's kind of yeah. just, I can't help but write emotional music. You know, it's always been just what I've naturally gravitated towards as, as a songwriter. So, uh, so yeah, so I definitely feel like that is where you can see my kind of, um, yeah, my kind of uh, environment in influencing mm. my kind of my work, I guess. And then I guess on the more post-hardcore-ish side of things, um, you know, like, like, you know, Slipknot, back to Slipknot, like a kind of archetypal heavy band, but then emo, you know, like for me, listening, finding bands like Fight Star and like uh, Under Oath and Alex on Fire, that was like the sweet spot between like, angry screaming and you know sad singing you <laughs> yeah. know so uh, so yeah and in terms of you kind of like finding your own musical exploration like in terms of playing music and singing and things like that obviously we know you as the vocalist for holding absence but obviously you do a bit of uh, piano and keys yeah. and, and stuff like that but so what what kind of came first or was did you kind of dabble with any other instrument before you fell into vocals where did that all come into Yeah it? so it was a bit of a weird one because I dr drums were my first instrument I, and and lots of lots okay, of the time cool. when when people say that you know they're like unbelievably good at drumming and and I'm definitely not I never was like specifically good <laughs> yeah. at drumming but I love how like drumming is like it's you know, with 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 every other instrument, I think it's fifty. I think it's one hundred percent music. You know, but I think with drumming, it's mm. like, you know, 80, 70, 60, it Depends who you are and how you play. But you know, it's it is a lot of music. But there's just so much more of like a uh, an exercise to it. You know, it's so much more of a physical thing. It's kind of like the equivalent of like going for a run or like you know going for a swim. You know, I just <laughs> yeah. feel like it was more of an activity than playing guitar. You know, yeah. um. So so I got yeah I got into drumming. Um, when I was about, I've got this this story I, I always tell, but I don't feel like I've told it very often in like podcasts and stuff, but like um, basically when it was year seven and, you know, music lessons in year seven are just dead and they, you know, you go in and everybody, yeah. you know, yeah. you spend a whole month learning how to play Frere Jocker with a, as a classroom, you know, and, um, yeah. and one day we walked in and the drum kit was set up and it was like, oh, you know, this is going to be like an interesting music lesson. And, um, and yeah, basically our teacher was like, Okay, so basically, I'm going to teach you vaguely how to play drums, like what the simple concept of a hi-hat beat, you know. And I remember, like, mind hmm. blown that you have to put your right hand over your left hand. Like, why would, you know, it's so counterintuitive. But I was the only kid in the class who could do, like, a kind of straight beat with my feet and my hands, you know. And, and I think, right, to be yeah, honest, yeah. that was what made me feel like, I, you know, I just, I just, there was like, I'd never had a kick like that before in my life where I was like, I'm the only guy who can do this in the class. I think it's probably the only thing in the world that I was the only kid in the class who could do it, if that makes sense. But, um, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, and basically my transition into um, singing was the fact that I'd always been able to sing. I'd always enjoyed singing, you know, but then drumming came along and you, you know, drumming in a band is way cooler than drumming on your own. Um, and then, yeah, it got to the point where we realized that everybody who's music-ish in our kind of classroom and stuff. Like nobody could really like sing, sing. And I kind mm. of accidentally could, and it kind of fell back on itself, you know? So um, yeah, and, and I, I think I just realized that I loved drumming, you know, I loved music, but I was just naturally good at singing comparatively, you know? Mm. Cause that's the thing, obviously like, 
even before sort of holding absence, we'll get onto that in a moment, but your voice has always been like a very distinguishable and defining kind of thing in the bands that you've been part of. And as you say, kind of, you've always just been a natural singer, but like when you kind of discovered that, did you then go into having like vocal lessons and coaching or is it just, that's what you yeah, did sort um, of thing? You know, I, I really want to quash any concept that I might be, I might have woken up one day and sung like this. Cause like, you know, I, trust me, I, <laughs> yeah. I've got a well-documented journey of not being able to sing <laughs> very well for a long time, um, <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, in all honesty, I've never had singing lessons. You know, I, I had maybe one or two little, I, you know, I, d- I don't really count them because they were free with school and in all honesty, they yeah. did for literally nothing for me uh, as a singer, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I like, you know, I did a few like kind of exercises with a singing teacher in class once or twice, but I never sought after um, like help with my, my voice, you know, and I feel like for me, and this is how I am, you know, like, like you said as well, I play piano and I play guitar, you know, so I, I feel like for me in every sense of, of life as well, like I like to learn how to do things on my own. And, and I feel like for, mm. for me, like that's half the fun is like, that kind of smug like yeah well I didn't need any help you know what I mean and like and it's funny because <laughs> yeah. I, I am in in so many di- different walks of life I need help with so many things I'm not you know I'm not a very you know savvy guy with much but I, I feel like yeah it's, it's always been something that b- back to guitar and piano you know I pick them up I'm trying to learn how to draw now and I, I gotta be honest it's so humbling because mm. like it's so hard it's so hard and like you know learning yeah. like shapes and then like depth perception and then like shading and all this i'm just kind of like yo it's not as simple as putting paper you know is is there's actually a bit to it and and for me I'm, I'm getting better over time with drawing the same way i did with guitar and piano and i think that's kind of the fun of of learning a yeah, skill yeah. is is failing and then watching yourself get better at it you know and just in terms of like that kind of as you say sort of like teaching yourself and things like that because I am jumping forward a little bit here, but just because, as I said, your voice is very distinguishable and like, even just in the, in the time span of holding absence, we've seen like the progression of your voice and like the range that you're capable of. So was that something that like, I guess kind of practice makes perfect kind of thing that like you kept kind of pushing yourself to see how far you could push your voice? Yeah, I think, you know, I I always say that with, um, with anything really, you know, but vocals, I always say, you know, it's 50% practice, 50% confidence, you know, you need to believe mm. that you're going to hit that note and you need to practice to hit that note in the first place. But if, if you don't practice <laughs> yeah. and if you don't believe in yourself, they're both as important as one another. So I think when we started, or when I joined Holden Absence, there was this like real sense of audacity that it was just like nobody else in the scene is like killing it, you know, on a real vis- visceral kind of, uh, level and and I just remember thinking like because in all honesty you know I I'd been in a band prior for five years and then that split up but like a healthy-ish kind of time and I did my final year of university and then I joined Holden Absence but I always remember that last that that year in between I felt like I had so much to prove you know I felt like I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder because like mm. I I'm not the guy serving pints in the bar for, you know, cheap money and, you know, handing in dissertations. Like I'm the guy who wants, who, you know, sings, you know, and, and I think I hadn't shown or been able to show anybody that I was that person for, for a whole year of my life. And, and, and it's kind of weird now looking back actually that I've had more time off now <laughs> than I did, you know, so maybe I'll come <laughs> yeah. back like freaky, you know, like, who knows? But, um, but yeah, I just, I just think for me, it was like, I kind of had this weird mixture of like, I'd done it all with Falling With Style, my prior band. I've literally five years mm. of getting better and better and just trial and error. And then also, you know, like I said, coming to Holden Absence, it was like, I believe that I can smash this. And um, and, and every time I, I just feel like if you're not going to push the goalposts a bit closer and make everything a little bit harder every time you do something, then, you know, I guess kind of what's the point, you know? Yeah, yeah. And just before we kind of get into the bands, I always kind of like to dig into what people's kind of exposure to sort of live music is. And you kind of had a bit of a cheat with your Prodigy story, (laughs) but just in terms of like you kind of going out and discovering live music, like I know that you grew up in like quite sort of like a small town in Wales, but was there kind of 
much going on there or did you kind of have to go out of town to kind of seek live music? You no, know, I'll be honest, we, myself and, and Fallen Style, my, my earlier band, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to like take credit for anything, but like, I feel like we really just forged a scene out of just, just, hmm. you know, just pure willpower because it got to the point where we'd, we'd book, we'd literally book community halls and, and, and like put a PA in there and just, and just play, you know, and just like, it, it, yeah, we didn't yeah. even need venues for a while, you know, and, and Pontypris where I'm from, you know, it's, it's literally half an hour away from Cardiff. So it, it isn't like, you know, it, I'm not in the, the butt end of Wales, you know, and Wales has got a lot of butts, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, so like, you know, I am fortunate that I'm not from too deep in, but yeah, for, for, um, for the, for the scene, you know, it, it was literally like, probably about 10 of us, you know, um, between my hmm. bandmates and me and then a couple other kind of bands, I guess, you know, or people who were in other bands, you know, like we would just do anything. And, and myself and one of my closest friends, Taff, like we'd put on like school shows, you know, and, and, and literally when I look back, it's like we did this thing. We went to a school called Hawthorne High School and like we, used to, we did this thing called Hawthorne Rocks, right? And when I look back, it's crazy because my band and Taft's band, the two of us, we just booked the show for a school in school with two us, you know, two established local bands, you know. And we basically yeah. just went around all the classes and like basically said, do any of these kids want to make music? And if so, we're doing this gig. And it got to the point where like I was drumming for some 13 year old kid doing like a Smashing Pumpkins cover because like we were just like, let's just <laughs> come on, like make some music. Let's have some fun, you know, and. And I, and I look back and I, I, I'm proud that like we really did like force a scene in Ponty, you know, but mm. then moving on to yeah. Cardiff, you know, Cardiff's always had a real wealth of, of, um, of talent and opportunity really, you know, like, um, I don't know if you've, you've ever been to Cardiff, but there's a specific fabled street called uh, Womanby Street and on it is Clubby mm. Verbach, Fuel and The Moon. And those are like three in their own right, very established venues. And it's literally, yeah. you could, honestly, you could touch all three with your hand in the space of eight seconds. You know what I mean? Like they're all like, literally, <laughs> yeah. like you know. Um, but yeah, so so Cardiff was a whole nother beast really. And that, that did kind of go hand in hand with when I went to university, you know, because I'd moved to Cardiff then and yeah. Mm. And then, so you touched upon sort of um, falling with style, but was so was that your your first band, or was there anything sort of prior to that? Yeah, that was the first band that I sung in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I you know, I, I drummed a little bit and stuff in other bands, but that was like the first band I ever really, really took seriously. Um, and I, we started mm. in 2010, and we split up in 2015. So it was a it was a nice, healthy amount of time. You know, we released three EPs. We played Download Festival once, which was always the you know. But I got to be honest though, you know, for me, I was like with Holden Absence, I, I remember thinking to myself, I, I can't be the guy who played download once, you know, I need to, you know, I can't just let it be a flash in the pan. Like I need to work hard to make yeah. this something that happens again, you know? Um, and same with the Kerrang yeah. cover as well. I know it sounds really stupid, but I think to myself, that's something I can have forever, but I want to do it again. You know, like I can stop making yeah, music yeah. tomorrow and be like, I played download and I was on the front cover of Kerrang. But for me, I'm like, I want to do it all again. You know, I want that to be part of the machine really, you know? Mm. I think that's kind of a cool attitude to have, though, because like we always see like the cynical people in music yeah. that will will sort of say like, oh, there's no like fresh bands coming out. Who's going to be the next headliners and all yes. this sort of thing. And like with publications like Kerrang and stuff like, yeah, OK, they're important within like the metal community. But there is a lot of repetition of people that you see on the yep. front, like you will always see your Corey Taylors, your slashes and stuff. So I think it's refreshing to have like a quote unquote young band like yourselves pushing that and being like, no, we want this. For sure. Maybe not necessarily on a regular basis. Yeah, but yeah, like, but this is part, we want this to be part of our repertoire, you know, not like a fluke. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think something really special and worth noting is that uh, ourselves and Loath did a split EP back in 2018 um purely yeah. because we believe us and our you know both of our bands to be two two of the best in in the uk and we wanted to do something cool you know and the shows were, were great you know don't get me wrong but i look back and i'm like we did play to like 30 people in newcastle you know like we did like it was it was good but <laughs> yeah. it wasn't crazy you know and then flash forwards like three years later like both loathe and hold absence have been on the front cover of kerrang you know so i i love that yeah and i'm just 
God, yeah, when I think about that guy, it is proper crazy, you know. So, yeah. But, you know, props, <laughs> like you said as well, the props to Kerrang! Because, you know, they are a weekly magazine, so they do have 52 magazines a week to churn out, you know. So there's a bit more opportunity yeah. than, for example, Rock Sound, you know, I get that. But still, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a risk, you know, and it's something that I'm really grateful they took a risk on us, you know. Hmm. And just kind of going back to, to Falling With Style, like you mentioned obviously doing that band for, for five years and, and having the opportunity to do download and stuff. But obviously I always kind of like to find out what people's first like interaction of going on the road and touring mm. and stuff like that was. So going out with, with Falling With Style, what was your kind of experience like that? Like, because obviously I know like Holding Absence was, well obviously up until now was very active in terms of touring <laughs> yeah. and stuff. So did that kind of give you a bedding of like what it was like to be on the road? Did it give you that like, oh, I really like this. I want to do more of it. Like, what was that experience? Yeah, man. Like, like we did two tours with um, with Falling With Style. So we didn't do too many. Um, we did one of them, which was a headliner. And I honestly, some of those shows, man, like, no, like literally, <laughs> dude, honestly, I think we played date one was Dundee, you know, and I think we had like a ticket sold, you know, like, so it definitely was more an experience of the physical labor of traveling <laughs> yeah. yeah than touring uh you know and then and then another tour we did which is which was a really brilliant tour looking back was us and then it was create to inspire and shields as like a co-headliner yeah, um, yeah and that was brilliant because that was like our kind of like our first um foray into touring and, and it's funny because when i look back you know like create to inspire were like our best friends we really really love those guys still do you know they're brilliant guys but um when we got offered that tour we got we got the only budget space they had for us was 25 pound a night um yeah oh, straight God. up 25 quid a night and they got to a, there was one show where um there was not enough rider for us uh you know what i mean so we were just kind of like you know like create to inspire shared their food with us but it was like yeah it, that was really looking back those were like the dregs of touring you know and but I, i'm still mm. just like thirsty for for it because like the few good shows of those two tours combined you know um i just i just there's nothing i love you know for me there's nothing i loved more when i was younger than going to shows and that the atmosphere yeah. even in between sets you know it's like everybody's just talking everybody's hanging out you don't know everyone that's kind of cool um but the concept of that being every night is just like so special and then being able to play as well is brilliant you know but my first personal mm. tour actually was um i did merch for a band called when we were wolves um okay. yeah and um they were awesome guys brilliant band you know and um they basically needed a merch guy and and it's funny because i got my a-level results one of the mornings that you know so we woke up in like scotland somewhere and then i woke up to my mum ringing me and being like oh, i just went and got your a-level results you know so i was i always remember that and think to myself god it's crazy to think that i was just a sixth former you know going and doing merch on the road yeah you know? yeah um so yeah so i to answer your question yeah i you know i did have experiences on the road but with holding absence it was like there is no way on earth that we don't tour as much as possible you know Mm. and just kind of like transitioning from like um falling with style to holding absence like obviously the current lineup with yeah. holding absence is kind of <laughs> yeah. a lot of cross-contamination yes. weirdly but like just in terms of like musicality obviously like they're very different beasts but like if you were to dig into falling with style there are kind of like elements you can see oh this gave birth yeah. to holding absence sort of thing so i don't know like did you kind of feel like when you kind of joined Holding Absence and started that ball rolling, that it was just kind of like an elevation of that? Or did you approach it as like a completely different beast? I think there's definitely a really good metaphor in here somewhere, but I'm struggling to find it. But basically, like, you know, with Falling With Style, we were five, five kids that got good at our instruments and decently good at writing songs together. But I think... Mm. we kind of manifested in the wrong direction a little bit. I think that's, that's the issue with holding absence. The vision was there. The, the vessel was there. Everything was going in the right direction, you know? And like, it's funny because holding absence is really hard to define, define on a genre level. You know, people say we're post hardcore, melodic hardcore, you know, emo metal core, you know, there's just mm. so much, but ultimately I do just think we we were always going in the right direction. And in all honesty, you know, with Scott and Ben now on board, um, I think, you know, those are two people who got 
very good at what they did alongside me in a band that was doing something that wasn't overly good, if that makes sense. And then with yeah. Absence, it's a band that's doing something really good. And we've kind of got these two brilliant members that I've already got a brilliant rapport with. And, and uh, it's funny as well, because I really, you know, I don't want anyone anywhere to think that this is Falling With Style part two, you know, like I, it's because it truly is, <laughs> yeah. you know, like uh, I feel like even as somebody who joined Holding Absence post inception, you know, um, I feel like we all kind of, we all like read the memo and then did it, you know, there, there was no like mm. sauntering in and just kind of feeling our way, you know, being, you know, it's never going to re revert to Falling With Style again, if that makes sense. Cause I think we yeah. all really do know what the assignment is, you know? Mm. And just in terms of that, like you mentioned like with Holding Absence, there's always been a vision and like you've spoken about this in, in other interviews, but I just kind of want to dig into it a bit more. Cause I think like for any band to kind of go in, like obviously every band wants to sort of ha hit these milestones and go in some sort of direction, but to go straight off the bat and be like, no, this is where we want to go and actually achieve yeah. it is something different. So how did you kind of like, I guess, first and foremostly, what was the conversation like of what you wanted to achieve and how do you feel like you've put those steps in motion? Yeah, I think in all honesty, I, I think it's really hard to explain because like when, when it, it kind of all started off with Old Absence, it was like everybody just got what we were trying to do in the band. But I don't think anybody mm. really spoke about it, you know? I, I think we just, we all just <laughs> yeah. knew we wanted it. Yeah, you know, I think we, we used to use quite big words when we were describing it as well. Like, you know, like um, intense, uh, you know, and like atmospheric, cathartic, emotional, you know, I think those were words that, if you were to sit down, you know, with a group of strangers and be like, we're going to start a band, pick five, you know, words that describe what you want to do and let's aim for it. I, I really think that'd probably be not the worst way of going about things because back to, you know, how we started with Holden Absence, it was just, we didn't really know what it was we were doing, but we we also 100% knew what it was that we were doing, you know? Mm. Um, and then I think over time, I think we grew conscious of, of what we were making and what we owed to ourselves. And, and I, I always view the band as like a complete separate entity when it, when it comes to our person, you know, because obviously Faisal yeah. has joined Lowe's and James has gone off and done his uh, like side project, you know, and a well, solo project or, or big main project now, you know, but I, I think, you know, <laughs> yeah. ultimately I think, it was always this sense of respect for the band, you know, that they kind of were like, what I want isn't maybe what's best for the band. And, you know, I love the band too much to like, I don't know, sacrifice it in any way. So I'm going to go and do my thing. And and I think yeah. that's kind of why, you know, our relationships with those are, are, are still really good. And also I think, you know, why the band never, jittered in any way with those changes was because like ultimately I think we always knew that the band was like bigger than us you know and I myself am aware of that still to this day and I, I always will you know the second that I ever put pen to paper and it doesn't feel like I'm doing it for the band I'm doing it for me it's like I'll just that'll be the, that'll be the day that you know I shouldn't be in the band mm. anymore I guess you know <laughs> yeah and you brought up earlier the the split that you did with Loathe, and that was kind of my entry point for you guys. Um, and obviously, like, have kind of watched your progression and so on and so forth. But, like, for you being in the band, like, as you said, you've kind of always had this vision you've and, like, the direction you wanted to go. But was there, like, not maybe necessarily a specific moment, but can you remember, like, a time when you saw those wheels in motion starting to pay off and, like, there were more people paying attention to what Holding Absence was doing and you were kind of thinking like, oh shit, this is now starting to go in the direction we want to go. Yeah, it, you know, when I look back at our career, I don't think, it's funny, I don't think we've ever taken a step down. I think we've had mm. really long waits on some of the steps, you know, like when I think back to, uh, you know, like like back to, you know, uh, Fez and James leaving, those were big, massive milestones in my life and the band's life you know but also the america visa situation we had to cancel a bloody headline europe run because capsize got outed as like fucking 
dickheads basically you know and like and, and like <laughs> yeah. there was a there was a period where we cancelled we had to cancel like five tours in 13 months between like covid you know so you know even covid feels like a long step that we've been stood on you know mm. but i never feel like we've stepped down i think you know and, and and like that's what's always been special to me is like every time there's always just a little bit more promise there's always just a few more people who believe in us you know and and doing Scala at the end of 2019, I think, which just feels like a million years ago now. But um, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. like, um, that, that is huge. It's like a, a gargantuous venue for, for an a, a upcoming band, you know? And then I look at this mm. poster that we've got out now for the upcoming tour that we're doing next, and it's like electric ballroom, yeah, you know? And I'm just like, shit, man. Like every time we do something, it does step up. So for me, it's more a case of like, I think it's more a case of like accepting, you know, because you do get this horrible, me specifically, dude, like I'm a nerdy loser with like, you know, a small friend group, you know, and, and, and I've always felt like uncomfortable having things go well for me. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, I yeah, really yeah. think with everything that goes well for this band, I, I digest it. I come to peace with it. You know, I try my best to just, be humble about it you know and, and and but accept it as well you know because there's no shame in in taking that next step you know and that, i gotta mm. be honest that was one of the hardest lessons i learned was like you know growing up with so many friends and bands you know i like i kind of started feeling guilty that i was doing well like do you get what i mean and like uh, and and, and <laughs> yeah. that's like a really it is a really bittersweet feeling because like i want all my mates to do everything with me you know i wish it's a shared victory whenever i whenever I do anything, I want all my friends to kind of be there with me. And it, and it's kind of, yeah, it was, that was for me, that was one of the hardest things was like knowing that like, because I was working hard and stepping up, like I was kind of leaving people behind a little bit, you know? Mm. And, um, and, and that's truly one of the, the saddest things I'd say about, yeah, a bit of a tangent really here, but you know, it's like, no, for me, no. it's like, you know, coming to grips with the fact that I'm moving as well as anything you know success is, is movement i guess and the band getting bigger and better mm. you know i kind of feel like i've had to step up my comfort zone a little bit which has kind of been mm. hard to embrace for somebody who's very comfort driven <laughs> <laughs> yeah and just in terms of like as i said like what i came into you guys with that split off load and i think what really drew me to like so complete honestly like i was a loath fan yeah, before i was a same. Fan, so that's what got me into the, but like what kind of got me interested in you guys was the fact that you were doing like melodic vocals over this kind of like atmospheric grandioso heavy music and i think it's very unusual like for a band nowadays to kind of stick in that lane like there's a tendency if you have got someone that is doing clean vocals like that it might be a ratio of like 80 to 20 they'll be 80 clean and then they'll do the odd yeah, scream and stuff like that but but with your voice like there's still an intensity and like an aggression there but it doesn't ever go too far if that makes sense so i don't know was that always a conscious decision to kind of keep that melodic line and not go into the screams yeah, for sure. I'm sorry, my uh, my battery's just yeah. There we go. Sorry. Um. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> That's cool. I think to be honest, it's it's funny and it's it's really worth taking into account that like when I was about 18, I wished I could scream like so much. Like I I was mm. at the stage of my life, maybe 17. You know, like I was at the point where I was like, dude, I wish I could scream in a metalcore band. You know, like damn this <laughs> yeah. melodic voice of mine. You know, and like um and I you know and I think to be honest, I went through such a weird form of dis dysmorphia with it i think is or dysphoria you know where i was kind of like oh you know i guess i well i'm good at singing so let's just bloody sing you know back to the drumming thing you know yeah. it's like you know i i kind of and then by the time i i joined hold absence i was really at peace with singing i love singing you know i, I melody is that's what music is you know why why wouldn't i mm. embrace the hell out of being able to sing you know um but you're right though you know it's like especially when it comes to the live setting and, and like you said with the, the this is as one ep you know that was back when we were a far more angsty messy kind of hardcore-ish kind of band you know mm. um and and i always tried to make sure that you know i was still doing right by me as well you know and and making sure that the melodies were good and my performances were good because i think 
I'd been humbled a long time prior that like screaming isn't really my thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And just in terms of like the the growth of the band, like it's I, I find it really interesting because you guys sit in like a really kind of sweet spot in terms of like, you'll have fans like people of like my age, like early early 30s, mid 30s sort of thing that can like really appreciate the music and appreciate the melody and everything like that. But then you'll have the younger fans that can like are hooked to what you're singing about, like the more kind of like um, subject matters and, and things like that. So I, and I don't want to make this sound like you have to appease all audiences, yeah, yeah. but is that something that plays on your mind that you have got this wide ranging demographic of fans like, I don't want to say like you have to people please, but is that something that plays on your mind? Yeah, no, really great question because, you know, I, I, I feel like what you said there is two different things where it's like, our demographic is an interesting one, you know, like like you said, and, and, and I mentioned it in the Kerrang interview, but for me, the goal is, you know, I want to be the kind of the, the cool young band that older dudes are listening to. And I want to be a bit mm. more of an interesting band for younger girls to listen to, you know, like I, I kind of feel like, you know, they're some of the best bands of all times are the ones that can wear different hats for different circumstances. And and I think, and also for the record, you know, when I go on Spotify artists, a little app, it's like our demographic by a real stretch is like 25 year old blokes, you know? And, and it's like, that's so weird to me because <laughs> yeah. the tweets and the people who come up and say hello at shows, like those are younger girls, you know? So, so it's mm. really interesting to me because like, it's not as obvious, like, you know, demographic is quite an interesting thing and, and knowing how to play to your audience, you know, that is, that is something that I feel like some bands can't do and I am very conscious of it. Um, and back to what you said about like kind of people pleasing, you know, I am back to what I, <laughs> I am self-referencing, I'm meta as hell. Um, no, cool, but, you know, back to what I said earlier about, um, you know, doing right by the band. I feel like I kind of want to people please because like, I love this band and I think this band can do loads of things and, and I'd hate for people to not get the best of us, you know? Um, and, and I think it's a, an artist's curse to take that confidence, like I said, about singing, you know, and just apply it in a quite an ugly way into like maybe more of like arrogant territory. And then you start just writing music. You just f lose touch with, with who the people are that listen to you and what they want from you, you know? Um, Mm. And you know, I, I don't know. Have you heard the new record yet? No. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. maybe you know, I, maybe you can agree. But like, I feel like you know, we've definitely evolved what we had into something better. Mm. I, but I, I do feel like every old Hold Absence fan would still enjoy something on this album, you know. So it, for me, it's it's as much about I don't know, just kind of making sure that you're with those people, but also being brave enough to take them somewhere that they might not have wanted to go in the first place. That doesn't mean you close your yeah. eyes and abandon them and hope they follow you. You know, you've kind of always got to be, you know, touching hands just at some, <laughs> yeah. to some degree, but ultimately, you know, the, the joy of art is to, to discover new things and to feel new things, you know? And, and if I can take hmm. a diehard Holden Absence fan to somewhere that they may have never come across as a music listener, you know, and those inspirations that we find from all the brilliant bands that we listen to, that's kind of the sweet spot between everybody being happy, I think, you know? Mm. And just in terms of like the, I guess you say like the people that kind of come up to you shows are kind of like the younger girls and stuff like that. And again, this isn't to like alienate the older people because they kind of obviously will latch onto this as well, but a lot of like what we see from like those tweets are like people that are attached to like your lyrics and, and things like that. And I know you've spoken about it in other interviews and you mentioned it in the Krang interview that like, there's this kind of almost kind of preconceived idea that like holding absence is like sad boy <laughs> kind of music sort of thing. But like in terms of like what you're writing and stuff, it is emotional and it is kind of vulnerable. So I don't know, like, is there an element of like you not necessarily holding back, but like putting yourself in a position where you are so vulnerable because you know that people are going to relate to that? Is that something that like you struggle with or have you kind of come to terms with like, no, this is who I am sort of thing. This is my position in the band. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, 
I think it's important to note that I don't, I don't do that to be a cliche. You know, I don't sit there and go, hmm. right, let's talk about like emotions now. You know, that's not like, it's not like <laughs> yeah. it's some contrived thing, but it's like, for me, it is just the source of my every output. You know, I, I, I you yeah. know, the same way that, I, I, you know, the music I listen to or the films I watch or whatever, you know, it's like, I, I want to feel that connection myself, you know, in, in every walk of life. I can't kind of just drone my way through life, really. Um, so, so yeah, every now and then I do feel like I got to be very careful not to be too contrived because it is very mm. um, uncertain ground a lot of the time. And, and I'm also aware of other people who aren't maybe fans of the band thinking that, you know, I'll just sit there and, you know, pretend like I'm sad or whatever and, 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 and think that that's like kind of childish or whatever, you know, because like that's not at all how I, how I want it to be. But, you know, I very much view what I do lyrically as like, uh, I've used this metaphor a lot over, over the last couple of weeks, but like I feel like the same way an author will write characters that they understand mm. and can empathize with, you know, I feel like, some Holden Absen, well, most nearly all Holden Absent songs are kind of similar to that in the sense that they aren't me, you know, and I'm not writing specifically through personal experience all the time. But, yeah. you know, those are emotions I can understand. Those are characters that I can empathize with and care about. Um, and at the end of the day, like, to be empathetic and to care about your music, like, that's kind of, for me, that's just, that's kind of awesome, you know? Like, why would I ever, you know? And <laughs> yeah. I think the problem is I've raised the bar too high now because, like, why on earth would I write about anything I didn't care about, you know? After yeah, all yeah. of this, you know, we're looking at, like, 30 songs now and truly every single one of them has got a certain staple in, in my heart and the way I've felt over the years, you know? Um, you know, it's like I need, I need to always find that sweet spot between being contrived and making it sound like I care if that makes sense but also making sure that i do truly care you know uh, and i think mm. ultimately it's as simple as the fact that it is a feeling you know it's it's just my heart kind of telling me that i'm writing music in the right direction really um and i think that's something mm. that'll never run out as well which is cool and this might sound like a bit of a an odd question but i i was dying to ask it when like i knew that i'd be talking to you and I mean this in the biggest compliment possible, but you are a good looking lad. So like, obviously like, and we've mentioned obviously like younger girls kind of <clears throat> being fans of the band, but has it been a weird experience? Like that you, like this is no disrespect to the rest of your band, but you've now kind of become this like poster boy. And like, <laughs> like there's people that like swoon over you and things like that. Like, is, there, is, that. is it like a weird, <laughs> But is that like a weird thing to experience? Because like, I've never been the, uh, the opportunity to be on a big stage and have girls screaming at me and things like that. So like, how have you kind of come to terms with that and dealt with those sort of situations? It is, it is, yeah, it's, it's fucking weird to be honest. And like, like I said, it's like, you know, I'm not, like I was not cool in school, you know, like I, nobody would have put money on me being the poster boy in school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's so yeah, I, I, I truly get what you mean, you know. And I think for me, I think, it is, you, you know, you've got to look at it objectively and be like, uh, you, you know, like, like, for example, you know, my, my, if my girlfriend listens to this, she's going to fucking <laughs> crease. But like, you know, for example, like <laughs> Hayley Williams is like a pretty person. I, ooh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. My phone is, I might have to quickly plug my charger in. But yeah, like Hayley Williams is like an attractive person, right? But Paramore are brilliant. Yeah. A, an unbelievable yeah. timeless incredible band you know so Haley being pretty is a really small nice thing to put on a big pile of other things I think my yeah, only yeah. problem with that shit is when the pile is just one thing and it's that Haley Williams is pretty <laughs> you know what I mean I'm like yeah, for yeah, me, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. if I got the point where I felt like you know I don't feel like overly objectified or sexualized in any way if that makes sense because I, I feel like a lot of the time it is a small bit on a big pile and and and, and yeah. maybe once or twice in my life i felt like the pile was actually kind of small and and maybe it was just some weird thing about me rather than my music and that you know even just the thought of that kind of does irk me a little bit but um mm. 
But like you said, it, on a human level, it is kind of weird, <laughs> I guess. Um, just quickly <laughs> as well, I'm going to grab my charger. We can keep talking. I'm just going to make sure. Yeah, that's cool. No worries, man. Sorry. Yeah, fire away, dude. Yeah. Um, so just in, like, in, in terms of like where we get to like the greatest mistake of my life sort of thing, the, the thing that I wanted to ask you about, obviously you, you've sort of gone into detail about the record and whatever in other interviews, so people can go seek that out. But we've talked about like the progression of the band and like how you've grown and things like that. And I don't know, like, because like where there are a lot of eyes on you now, that is there like an added pressure? Like, don't get me wrong, the record is fucking incredible. <laughs> but like, but is there a, like, was there an added pressure when you were going into it? Like, we've got to top ourselves. We've got to get this, like, we've got to do better than the self-titled. We've got to do X, Y, and Z. Or I don't know, was it more natural than that? It, it was a pure mixture of both because like for me it was like it was really natural yeah like first and foremost you know the first album there was a lot of pressure there was a lot of expectation from us and from third party people as well you know it's like you know when when you're in a position that we were when we started that record it was like I owe it to myself and everyone I've ever met to smash this I've never done an mm. album before you know whereas at this one it was like honestly let's just write great music and not stress too much um but i i read an interview the other day and it was it was really like poignant because like you know i i think the thing is is being a smaller band despite where we are in terms of our trajectory like and and i truly feel i i truly feel it's on both ends of the spectrum like people who like every now and else see a tweet about someone being like oh hold naps and suck or whatever i'm like dude like fuck off i'm like I'm just a, I'm, I'm poor as hell. I'm busting my ass. Like I'm working like fucking three jobs to do this. Like, do you get what I mean? Like I'm in a position where I don't want to be criticized by strangers because I'm not successful enough to so yeah. get lost, you know? But then at the other end of the spectrum, sometimes reading constructive, constructive criticism at this stage in your career is vital because you, the back to the, the confidence thing, in a blind rage, you might be trying to, claw at that ladder and you might not realize something's gone wrong because you've never paid attention mm. to it so it's important to have the humility and also to have the people around you to tell you when you aren't perfect you know and basically there was this article saying that Holden Absence kind of had all the potential in the world you know and the greatest mistake of my life finally showed that it might come true you know and it, and it made me yeah, think yeah, like yeah. shit yeah you know the first one was a, a good record I'm very proud of it and I feel like a lot of people had a really great connection with it you know but like I feel like I don't know I just felt like maybe there was a moment where it could have gone wrong you know and and that's why mm. you know I, I speak about all this in past tense as if I've just won a Grammy or something you know but like for me I just you know <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the album and, and I'm really confident and just on a personal level I'm just I'm yeah but screw confidence in it doing well like i'm just proud of it you know what i mean and and, and if it means mm. as much to other people as it, it has to me that's you know it's going to do well in a, in a human level and that's that's the only goal for me yeah um but yeah back back to what you said you know it's like sometimes the higher the pedestal the, the yeah well you know the expression you know the, the higher the pedestal the greater the fall you know and and i think if we hadn't kind of done something good with this album it might have been a two two seven out of tens in a row you know that might not have been such a good look for you know an yeah, upcoming yeah. you know could be big one day band you know and like so i think for me it's more a case of just this album i'm just i just i just wanted to tell people like if you ever did believe in us like and it wavered like i just want you to know like thank you and keep believing you know because we, we are working hard <laughs> yeah. to try and you know make all those dreams a reality you know and just like one specific thing on the record itself, obviously, like we've had the, the the singles and stuff, but you've had a family element to it, and obviously brought your sister mm. into it as well. So, where did that kind of idea into bringing her kind of come into it, and what was it like working with your sister in the studio? Yeah, so um, basically, I said to myself, kind of what archetypal kind of uh, song structure would I like to try and write you know like you can you, you know there's loads of different typical like songs you can write and I, I just thought to myself like a duet is such a timeless thing to do you know 
um, mm. it'd be a shame not to ever try and do it, you know. So basically, yeah, I kind of set out to write a, a duet and and um, we had an idea for a, for a guest vocalist that didn't happen. And in hindsight, you know, I'm, I'm glad it didn't happen, to be honest, because this is very, it's a very special song, you know. But um, we basically came to the conclusion that we had a duet and we either went in and got like some cheesy featuring blah, 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 from blah, 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 which would have yeah. maybe kind of popped the bubble a little bit in the context or try and do something a little more special, you know. And, and for me, it just it just hit me one day. I was like, God, yeah, like Kate would be great at it, you know, and, and like back to what we said earlier and to kind of come full circle, you know, music is an intrinsically family driven thing for me. It isn't something that, hmm. it's not some thing that I found in a dark cave that my parents were hiding from, me. you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. and same with Kate as well, you know, like she, she loves music, you know, because we always grew up around it. And, and you know, I, I'm sure you've read about it a million times, so I won't say it for the million and once time, but you know, my, my nan obviously had quite a big involvement in the title of the album. Mm. And, and it just kind of, it dawned on me that like, what makes more sense for somebody who exists through a love for music that was given to him by his parents, what makes more sense than having my sister on a song on an album that my nan <laughs> kind of accidentally titled? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, it, it just felt like um, just something really, really kind of special, really. Um, and then as for the how it felt and how it was, that was a very odd experience for me because... <laughs> yeah. I love my sister and like she's an incredibly talented vocalist um but it was more like me like internally I was losing my mind because it was such you know it was su it was such a like think about think about it like this the two things I love the most in, the, in my life are literally my family and my music so on one hand yeah, I'm yeah. like if my sister just sucks in the studio or something that's going to be horrible on the band end and I won't want that, you know? And then if it goes horrible on the band end, you know, and we maybe say to her, look, it's not actually what we wanted. How do I say that to my sister who's gone into yeah. the studio and tracked it? So <laughs> there were a few moments where like, and not that she wasn't anything but brilliant, you know, and, and you can hear it on, yeah, on the yeah. song itself. She did brilliantly, but few moments of real cognitive dissonance, you know, and a real sicky, sicky belly, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, in the end, man, I'm, I'm so ecstatic. And, and it, it did, did teach me to take risks if, if they feel right, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I've, I've only got you for a few more minutes, but one well, last thing I wanted to ask you, <laughs> one last thing I wanted to ask you was um, in terms of like the live experience, obviously you mentioned like the Scala show, but like, I think the last time I saw you guys, was 2000 trees in uh 2019 yeah. and i think prior to that like i'd seen you at like i can't remember where it was but it was like a, a smaller venue and just to see like the trajectory like from a small venue to that packed tent and you specifically like just commanding and controlling the audience sort of thing so like from like not just you but the band as as whole like growth wise how have you kind of learned to deal with those bigger shows and kind of conduct yourself on those bigger stages? Yeah, it is. It is weird because, you know, we're generally a bunch of anxious kind of weirdos, really, you know, and that isn't really where you want to put, a, put those types of people, you know, but um, I, I just think like I, I use the whole Iron Man, Tony Stark metaphor a lot, but like, I, I do feel like that dude up there is a different dude to the one you're talking to right now, you know, and, and yeah, I don't feel yeah. like I've ever had a, I'll ever have a conversation with that guy. You know, I feel like it's, it's kind of like a bit of an incredible hope <laughs> yeah. thing where like, you know, I've got to trust that that guy on stage is going to do the job, you know? And, and sometimes like I'll yeah, talk yeah, into yeah. the mic and I'll, <laughs> I'm going way in on the metaphor, but you know, I'll talk into the mic and I'll say something stupid or say something wrong. And, you know, Hulk with Bruce Banner's white boy skinny arms, you know, like <laughs> I'm kind of showing the cracks yeah. a little bit, but like, yeah, it's, it, it is something that I'm very conscious of and, even now thinking about all the things that I may have to do in regards to holding absence in the, the coming years, you know, if everything goes to plan, you know, I'm going to be in some really scary compromising positions for someone like myself, but I trust that that version of myself will do right by me in the band, you know? Um, and, and I think it's, mm. it's kind of a pompous answer really, you know, it's like, you know, but it, it, it just, it just feels like, 
I don't know, like I just kind of hit the switch and, and there we go. I'm ready to go as a different kind of guy doing a different kind of thing. And, and, and I, the thing, the thing I took a long time to come to grips with is like, I believe in that guy. You know, like I trust that dude yeah. that walks out on stage and manifests everything I've ever done as a human. Because like, I think that's so important is like, you know, if I didn't, then like, I wouldn't, I struggle to be pushed towards the stage, you know, because like it's, it is <laughs> yeah. a, it is a scary place to be, man. You know, everybody looking at you and, and a good example actually is 2000 trees because the electric cut, I don't know if you remember. Yeah. Oh yeah, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah for Literally like the last like an, a, like a hysterically short amount of time at the like it's mad to think how literally we got away with finishing the set with the electricity off because we were so close to finishing um yeah, yeah. but like you know like tw that last 20 30 seconds like that was like a big thing and i remember being like i'd never felt like so uh, uh, compromised like whoa man like <laughs> i can't even yeah. hear anything in my in years like all i can see is just all i can hear is that and there's nothing more sobering than just a drum kit in a tent and nothing else. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but yeah, man. Cool. All right. Well, Lucas, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time. But um, how I always end these is to ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. And this might be difficult because a lot of your new material, you haven't had a chance to play live yeah. yet. But we'll give it a shot and see what you go for. Um, what is your favorite holding absence song that you like to play live and why? Oh yeah, that was a, that was a toughie. Um, I think ooh, it's tough because um, yeah, like you said, we've written an album full of songs we've never played live. Um, <laughs> yeah. As it stands, I'm gonna go with either Penance or Wilt. I think those are two just yeah. like out of body experience songs, you know, and they. They just, you know, it's like having an exorcism up there for those two, especially like as it, as it comes towards the end as well, man. It's like just a different, whole different experience, you know. And I think for yeah. me as well, when I when I look back at live a live gig and a live experience, you know, when we played Scala, like we did Wilt and like it was the literally the, you know, it was the last song of a 17 song set. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't just like mm. the last song of a normal set. Like we played our entire discography in, in chronological order. Uh, you know, so yeah. finishing was like a real mountainous uh, moment, you know, but I, I just remember like there was, everybody's lights were on their phones and like, there was like um, maybe 20 plus people on other people's shoulders. And I remember as mm. I was singing, I was looking out at all these these kind of just these kids enjoying music you know and the same way that i used to you know and like some of them were crying all of them were singing along and i just remember thinking to myself like this is the most pure kind of probably one of the most pure moments of my life really because i knew yeah. those people as well i'd seen you know this one's from bristol this one's from sheffield this one's from scotland and we're all in london you know crying over the same song yeah. it's such a unifying <laughs> special thing so yeah definitely that one Perfect. Brilliant. Well, Lucas, thank you very much again for taking the time. Um, by the time this will go out, people will have heard the album. They'll have fallen in love with Actually, it. And hopefully. I just think, yeah, I just think, I don't know, like as cliche as it sounds, like you guys are on like a massive upward trajectory. And like I put a tweet out about it the other day. Like if anyone in the UK isn't proud of what you guys are doing, then they're fucking deaf. In thank you, man. So, I appreciate that. And also as well, the word pride, like, you know, I, like I said, I, I feel like with Holden Absence, it's really a shared victory, you know, like anyone who ever came to a show once, you know, it's like, I, I really love the thought of them feeling proud of us just keeping on, keeping on, you know, and, and, and so yeah. sick. So, and thank you, man. I appreciate the support. And also it was a lovely chat as well. Sorry, I talked a year off a bit, but uh, you asked good, good <laughs> questions. So it's your own fault. <laughs> <laughs> You're all good, man. But yeah, best of luck with everything in the future. And hopefully we'll see you on the road very, very cool. soon. Nice and bro. Cool. Take it easy, dude. So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to Lucas for taking some time out of his day to have a little chat with me. Um, as always, you can keep up to date with what Holding Absence are doing. They've got numerous stuff going on around the record release, but also tour announcements coming soon. Um, on all their various social media platforms which will be linked in the episode description notes um, as always as well if you want to support us you can on Patreon they're 
was meant to be a second Patreon episode, but while I was away, I didn't have the time, so that will be coming uh, beginning of next month instead. But head over to patreon.com forward slash justininsightpod, or the other ways to support us is through our charity, charity sampler, which is currently raising money for Heads Above the Waves. You can go to justininsightpodcast.bandcamp.com and uh, it's up there for a pound, but any donations are welcomed. Um, also, follow us on social media. We're just underscore and underscore podcast. At No, that's wrong. I got that. My own fucking thing wrong. Sorry. Just underscore and ins, underscore insight. Whoa, I can't get this right, apparently. Um, that's on Twitter and Instagram. And then just an insight podcast on Facebook. We got there eventually. Um, but yeah, also whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, if you want to rate, subscribe, review, because I'm sure there'll be some new listeners this week because of the magnitude of who the guest is. Um, But yeah, any support for this show is greatly, greatly appreciated. I'm going to stop talking now, so I'm just going to say thank you again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast, and I'll see you soon. (laughs) 